Our lesson this morning comes from the first chapter of Mark's Gospel, uh, starting in the 29th verse. And folks running the slides, if I read too much, don't worry about it. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up, went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him, and when they found him, they said to him, Everyone searching for you. He answered, Let us go to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in the synagogues and casting out demons. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Preacher's kids are a phenomenal group. They see everything. They comment on everything. But in my household, our son Andrew, who was born under the sign of the question mark, asked just questions all the time. And in this worship service and in the sanctuary, while the offering is going on, I'm bowing in prayer and... Um, you can still see me do this. Well, Andrew one Sunday caught on to the fact that I had my head bowed. And Andrew said, when they're taking the offering, what are you doing? I said, with my head bowed, he said, yes, what are you doing? I said, well, Andrew, I'm praying that God would give me a good sermon. Andrew thought about it for a minute and said, well, why don't he? Out of the mouth of babes. I still do it, and this is what God delivered me today. Prayer, prayer is talking to God who listens and responds because he loves us. Prayer is talking to God who listens and responds because he loves us. And what you're going to be reading, if you're reading with us in the E-Jesus series this week, you're going to be reading The Prayer Life of Jesus, The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, The Creator of All That Is, the one that spun the universe into being, and the one that, that sewed your sinews together and made you the wonderful human being you are. That one, that one, praise. And I want to look this morning just generally at at that notion of our Lord praying and, and how you and I as his followers can model his behavior and develop a life of prayer. The text tells us that it was very early in the morning. It's still very dark And Jesus got up, went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And that is the first model for you praying. Rose early, got up, went out. 
Now, some of you are like me. You have lost the sleep late gene that we used to have in college. When I open my eyes and it's four o'clock in the morning, I think, man, I slept really late. And so generally I get up and, and do my devotional thing. And my devotional thing involves God. It involves reading and it involves praying. And I found that as I start my day, that I have to start my day with God. And some of you are familiar of the Roman Catholic and, and the monastic practice of praying the hours. It's 4 a.m., 6 a.m., 8 a.m., noon, 4 p.m., and the bedtime thing. Look, y'all, I have to keep up with y'all, and y'all are just working me overtime praying for you, so I have to do a lot of it. But I get up early, start the day with the Lord, and, and what I've discovered is I have to find a place to go to be by myself. You know, I remember a time that when you got up, the kids got up with you, and they would come seeking you out. They would want breakfast, or they would want somebody to play with them. And now I have dogs, and when you get up, the dogs come and seek you out. They either want somebody to play with them, to throw something that they can go retrieve, or they want to be fed or treated. So this morning I was up early. At 4.30, I went and got my neighbor's pit bull. There is nothing that will bring you closer to Jesus than walking a pit bull in the morning. I have to wake the pit bull up. The pit bull sleeps in. Cut up. Wake up. I'm here. I leash cut up up and we go walking. And that is what prayer reminds me of. And that's what Cuddy reminds me of. That's what prayer is. It's sort of walking the pit bull. When you're praying, it is like walking the pit bull. God will take you where he wants you to go. And I know some of you, you've started out praying and you were going to tell the Lord God Almighty what you wanted, why you wanted it. You were going to give him the plan for giving you what you wanted and why you wanted it. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of your prayer, God says, uh-uh, Bubba. You heard it just as clear as I'm speaking. God spoke to you and said, this is what I want from you. This is the direction I want you to go in. Jesus got up early. He found a deserted place so he could be alone. And that's what amazes me about this whole little section of Scripture. Jesus has been inundated with people. Uh, Simon's mother is healed and the whole town shows up at sundown. They all want to be healed and he heals them. And then it's morning and he needs some alone time with God. You can have alone time with God in a car. You can have alone time with God when you get rid of the kids or you put the dogs in the kennel. You can have alone time with God almost any place. I have alone time with God the 23 miles from Gibson, Louisiana to Ruston, Louisiana and back again. I take my alone time when I can get it, where I can get it, and I use it to spend time with God in prayer. And I got that from Jesus.
So you're going to read the stories of Jesus' prayer life, and you're going to discover some things that, that maybe will make you feel better, that Jesus prays for other people. He prays for his disciples. He not only prays for himself in his ministry, but he's praying for those that are following him. Jesus tells a story in some of our readings about the people that just won't give up praying. They're going to keep praying for it and keep praying for it and keep praying for it. They are going to wart God until God finally relents and gives in or when God finally changes their mind. You see, I believe that some of the things that happen in prayer is not we change the mind of God, but God changes our minds. And you're going to read the 17th chapter of John's gospel where the Lord Jesus prayed a prayer that has not been answered. Jesus prayed a prayer that has not been answered. So don't be, don't be discouraged when you're praying and there is not immediate answer or the answer is much different than you thought it would be. Jesus communed with the Father. He did it early in the morning and he did it by himself alone. And he taught his disciples that we can learn this skill set called prayer. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. When you pray, listen to what Jesus says. Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. There's the mantra, get up, go out, and pray. Find a place that's your prayer closet, that's your space, that's your area, and put a sign up, in prayer, do not bug me. That's how you develop this relationship, and that's how you develop um, a prayer life. Prayer changes us and changes our lives. I will confess to you that I pray the Psalms, that Psalter right in the middle of the Old Testament. I use them for prayer because I am not the most articulate person in the whole wide world. Sometimes, believe it or not, I run out of words. So I start praying the Psalms as a deer longs or pants for flowing stream. So my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, God, for the living God. When I come and I behold the face of God, my tears have been my food day and night, while the people are continually saying, where is your God? And these words become words of prayer, and it gets you into a ritual of praying for others and asking about others and seeking what God wants you to do in your own life. I also pray... Celtic prayers and other prayers that have been written. There are a lot of monastic communities that write prayers. I use them. If you come to the traditional service, I'm usually praying somebody else's prayers, the invocation, because it's an art form to pray. I write my own prayers, but some other prayers just strike me as holy and devout. So I pray the Psalms, I pray ancient prayers of the church, and I have a prayer partner. Do you? 
I have somebody right now, right in the middle of a worship service, I can pull my, if I had my phone, I could pull it out and send a text message, I need prayer. And they pray for me. Wouldn't even have to tell them what I wanted prayer for. Send that text message. I'm preaching. I'm crashing and burning. I need prayer. Help me. Do you have somebody you can pick up the phone and say, I need you to pray for me? And they don't have to know what it is. They just go to their knees before God. There are people in this church. The staff knows it. Told the staff, if I'm ever sick, here's a list of people I want praying for me. Call them. Because they're prayers. They know how to go to the throne of grace. They know how to talk to God. And when they're praying, you can tell they're talking to God. Do you have that in your life? You know, Jesus talked about agreement where two or three are gathered in my name. Uh huh. Well, I want to suggest that that's a formula for prayer. Find somebody to pray with you who will pray as you need it. You know, I've been reading a lot the last couple of weeks about early Methodism in the United States because so many things that the early Methodists did caused the frontier to expand and caused what is called the Second Great Awakening in the United States. In other words, the Methodists started a revival. And I figure if we can go back and do what the Methodists were doing back then, you and I might be able to spur a revival today. And what I've discovered about the early Methodists is they spent a whole lot of time praying. The preacher would be preaching right in the middle of the sermon and somebody would be over there on the mourner's bench calling out because of their sinfulness and suddenly the preacher would stop preaching and they'd all start praying with that person that was mourning over their sins. People would come and throw themselves, not dignified kneeling, they would throw themselves on the altar of the church and cry out to God Almighty. What would happen if we did that? we get some suspicious looks. But what would God do if we poured out our hearts and poured out our lives before him and didn't care about what he thought because we were talking to our father in heaven? Methodists were praying people. The laity were praying people. The preachers who were the circuit riders would stop and preach at a house. Those were their churches. They would just go to a house and they would start preaching. And sometimes people knew they were coming and could stir up a crowd. And sometimes the crowd got stirred up while they were preaching. But then the, the pastor who had preached at the house stayed at the home. Preachers didn't have any houses. They stayed under somebody else's roof. And the pastors would, the circuit riders would then pray for the people at the evening and pray for the people in the morning before breakfast. And they would note whether or not the family received their prayers. Because all they wanted to do was to pray for that family who had received them, who had received their hospitality. There's a church in Gina, Louisiana. It is the Nolly Memorial United Methodist Church. 
Nolly Memorial is named for a man who was assigned to be the pastor, but who never got to the church. Richard Nolly was assigned to Louisiana, basically, as a circuit rider in 1813. It took him until November of 1814 to get here. On November the 25th, 1814, Nolly was crossing a river um, on the western side of the Mississippi. I've been trying to figure out what river it was, and scholars have too. He was trying to cross a river that was swollen, and the current was swift. And you forded a river on the back of your horse, and Nolly's horse got caught up against the other bank of the river and slammed Nolly against the bank, and Nolly fell off the horse. The horse, the horse managed to turn around and make it back to the other bank. Nolly was caught up in some tree roots and was treading water and swimming for his life because he couldn't pull himself up out of the river. The bank was that high. Nolly freed himself from the tree roots, got up on the other bank, and told his Indian guide, who was across the way on the other shore, to just don't worry about him. He was going to go on to the house that was about two miles away, and they could catch up tomorrow. The next day... This is said of Richard Nolly. The prints of his knees were on the wet ground, showing his prayerful attitude in his last hours. The exhaustion, the cold took its toll, and Richard Nolly died but not before he prayed. What a powerful witness to the power of prayer. I hope that in your own life you have developed that discipline. You have developed that spiritual reality in your life. I know that this summer I'm preaching a sermon series on prayer, and I've been told there's going to be a Bible study breaking out in the fall, I think, about prayer. So there are ways that you can learn to pray and develop the life of prayer. It is part of our Methodist heritage that we're a praying people for ourselves and for each other. One of the prayers you will read this week is the Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. His final prayer before the ordeal of the cross. He's instituted communion. And they go to the place called Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John and became became distressed and agitated. And again, he said to them, I'm deeply grieved even to death. Remain here and keep awake. 
And going a little further, he threw himself on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, that's the Aramaic word for daddy. Abba, Father, for you all things are possible. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. And in a moment, we come to this altar and celebrate the sacrament of communion because Jesus gave his life for us. That's what God wanted. My prayer for you is you develop a prayer life where you call God Abba, Daddy. And that prayer life sustains you and nurtures you through life's journey. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.